Well, in his book, a bold book, a 2011 book, Toxic Charity, the author Robert Lupton begins his book by writing, in the United States, he says, there's a growing scandal that we both refuse to see and actively perpetuate. What Americans avoid facing is that while we are very generous in our charitable giving, much of the money that we give is either wasted or actually harms the people it's targeted to help. Studies have shown that almost 90% of American adults are involved personally or financially in what Lupton calls the charity industry. Our entire society, from school children to corporate CEOs, from small churches and big churches to massive government agencies, uphold the wonderful value that helping others is a big part of what it means to be American. Public service has moved from just a catchphrase or a requirement in school. It's now a way of life for Americans of all ages. Nearly every church, business, organization gets involved in some way in a service project. College spring break service projects and church mission trips have become the norm. Corporations realize they can enhance their image through cause-related marketing and also build up employee loyalty and pride in the company. The compassion industry, Lupton says, is almost universally accepted as a virtuous and constructive enterprise. But what is so surprising, he writes, is that its outcomes are almost entirely unexamined. We ship food to Haiti, we dig wells in Sudan, the clothes we distribute in inner city Detroit all seem like worthy efforts, yet those closest to the ground on the receiving end of the outpouring of generosity quietly admit that the help may be hurting more than helping. How? Well, Lupton says, how? Through dependency through destroying personal initiative, when we do for those in need what they have the capacity to do for themselves, we disempower them. Now, this summer we've been talking about empowering. Our worship series has been called A Church with Power, and we've been examining that since Pentecost Sunday, since the power of the Holy Spirit came upon the disciples as they spoke to the crowd with boldness, as they called the people into true community that made sure that no one among them had need. We've been looking at movements that we can make in our church life in order to embrace what it means to be a church with power. And the first one was to get over that notion that all Power, all forms of power are bad things. It's often abused and misused. Yes, as the old saying from Lord Acton goes, power, well, it tends to corrupt. And absolute power corrupts what? Absolutely. You've heard it, right? I've said it a few times at this point if you didn't hear it before me. But powerlessness corrupts as well. To have a mission, to have a passion To know that you need to do something, but you cannot. You don't have the capacity to do it for yourselves, for those you love. That can corrupt you. It can demoralize you. It can disempower you. 
And to have a family that you can't provide for, to have a job that you work hard at, and yet you still struggle to make it and make ends meet to pay the bills, and you don't have the power to do anything about the situation you are in, that kind of powerlessness can be devastating. Thankfully, there are many, many religious congregations and nonprofits who step in to help. Lupton kind of seems negative, but he's trying to force us to look at ourselves. And yet the reality is without the charity of churches and nonprofits and religious congregations, our community would fall apart. The truth is without in Norwalk, without a ministerial association, which helps our neighbors pay rent and utility bills and buy gas and food, many, many people would suffer in our community. But here's the rub. The ministerial association, which all our churches in town participate in, we're out of money. 18 months ago, we had some generous givers, very generous. We had some successful fundraisers, and we had a balance of almost $25,000, more than we've ever had before. And so what did we do? Well, we gave it all away. Uh, and now we have about $400 in the bank. We spent money because the needs kept coming in and having $25,000, we kind of felt bad saying, well, we can only pay $150 of your $400 electricity bill or you owe $1,200 in rent. Well, here's $150. We felt bad. So we gave it all away and we were generous, maybe too generously. And now we don't have anything. We need money if you have some to share. It will go to good use. But we could keep giving and giving, every one of us generously. And I guarantee you, we could easily find plenty of needs without even leaving our city limits. And the more money we collect, the more we would give away. And we could keep on, and we could keep on, and we could keep on. But when we stop, the needs will still be there. And the question that Robert Lupton asked churches to ask is one that we rarely seem to ask. Is it working? Do our charitable acts actually empower people and change the situation, or are we taking the power away? Now, the struggle is not new for the church. The, the very first story, actually, we get in the book of Acts of the church actually entering the world, leaving their worship services is the story we read this morning from Acts chapter 3, verse 1. The verse before, they were meeting in homes, they were sharing with one another, but now they're entering into the public space. And the very first thing they have to ask is what will they do once they're there? Every day we're told uh, the church, as they go to worship in the temple, they would have a reserved space. I don't know if it's reserved or not. They took it in the Jewish temple, and they would worship Jesus in the Solomon's portico. And on their way, they would pass this man. Everyone knew who he was. They knew his name. We do not. We're told he was lame from birth. He had good friends, friends who would pick him up every day and take him to the temple and take him back home that evening. And, you know, chances are he did pretty well. Passing all the worshipers, what a better place to ask for handouts than in front of a church. Who could say no? He was not hungry. He was cared for. And yet if people stopped giving, if they stopped carrying him, his life would soon be over. And I don't know how many days Peter and John passed him, how many times they threw some change into his bucket. 
But on this day, Peter, well, he has enough. Maybe he's got nothing else to give. And he says to him a verse that I learned as a memory verse as a child. Silver and gold have I none, but what I have I give you in the name of Jesus Christ. Stand up and walk. And I think Peter's a little ticked off when he says this. He's not being pastoral. Silver and gold I have none, but what I have I give you. Stand up and walk. And the man does it. Maybe it's his persistence, his power of his voice. Maybe it's the power of God moving. The man finally stands up. And for the first time in his life, this man stands on his own. He could walk. He could work. He could go home. He could go and do for himself. He had power. And the power of the Holy Spirit caused the disciples to speak in languages that everyone could understand. But the power of the Holy Spirit also gave this man the power to walk. And had he been sitting outside of one of our churches, we'd give him money every day until the day he died, and then we would have paid for his funeral. But would we have ever asked him to stand up and walk? See, a church with power is a church that is generous, extravagantly generous. It takes care of those who are suffering both in and outside of the church, helping with those in need. And we must do this. And if we stopped, our city would probably fall apart. But we must also ask the harder questions because no one else seems to ask them. Why can't this person walk? And once they walk, what's standing in their path that may trip them on their destination? These are questions we say of justice, the difference between charity and justice or mercy and justice are these why questions. Justice demands that we ask harder questions and then we build the good kind of power, the capacity to not just ask questions, because that can be demoralizing and kind of boring if we just talk about the questions, but to go out and to work for the answers, to find solutions, to fix what is broken. Later in the book, Toxic Charity, Lupton writes, feed a man, feed a man a fish and he'll eat for a day. You know the saying, teach a man to fish and he'll eat for a lifetime. It's conventional wisdom, he said. But what happens when the fish disappear from the lake due to pollution and overfishing? Then he says it's time for a change of strategy. Someone has to figure out how to get control of the lake, stop the pollutants, issue fishing license, put wildlife management policies in place. Teaching a man to fish is an individual matter, but gaining control of the lake, that's a community issue. Giving away fish, yeah, this is the task of the church, and I love fish, and we should have more of it. Amen? Amen. Yes, amen. Not just in Lent, all year long. And teaching someone to fish, this is a good thing, too. But I believe God is also calling us to do more, to see why the lake is polluted, to ask the question if the fishermen and women, the people and the community have access to the lake and that once fishing, can they even catch enough to feed themselves and their family? Because if the people of God aren't doing this, then who will? Now, had Peter not moved from charity to justice, the lame man at that temple might have been well fed but he'd still be unable to walk on his own. And Peter's actions that day changed his life, and it set the church on a different course, a a course that would cause the church over centuries to keep asking those hard questions, to not just ask, what can I give you, but what can I do for you? What 
kind of power can I help you build in your own life? See, charity, charity makes us feel good. But what charity also does is it keeps things as they are. It keeps the system unquestioned. And you see from that second story that we read, once they start asking those harder questions, things start getting out of whack. The powers that be try to shut Peter and John up. We can't have this. Because if people can just stand up and walk, then what else is going to happen? The early church imagined a community where power was shared. It's not a a, a zero-sum thing. Just because you have power doesn't mean I have none. But true power comes through relationship as we share. And the religious leaders were scared of losing their power. And yet the early church saw a different kind of community where we stood arm in arm and shared with one another. And instead of backing down, they got more bold. So they told the religious leaders, we cannot keep from speaking about what we have seen and what we have heard. They did not stop and neither should we. Amen. 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 Let us come again to the Lord's table.